0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Former Bengals linebacker, Takiyo Spikes. I was frustrated because you can tell certain coaches'
2: hands are tied. It's like, what are we doing? You know, what are we here for? We've
1: got Tim McGee.
2: Since uh, uh, Zach Taylor has come in uh, as the head coach, you really didn't know what to expect from them.
1: Our special guest is Hall of Fame offensive tackle, Former Cincinnati Bengals, Anthony Munoz. I think we have the making of a you know, pretty good offensive line, a young in a couple positions. Bengals wide receiver Tyler Boyd joining us. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's fun to me when I when I get to go home and or play Steelers. Bengals running back Vicky Woods. I am surprised, but I'm also happily surprised that they're starting to step up
3: to the plate and spend a little money. I am Matt Minick, and this is
4: Shock Talk. I think anybody follows Cincinnati football on all three levels. Those are
1: guests. Sam Hubbard, the defensive end for the Cincinnati Bengals. We had a lot of kinks and stuff that we worked through the first year and now we're we're really able to uh,
4: focus on the details.
1: It is a very very special episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast because we have a very special guest. I am Anthony Kazenza, joined by my co-host John Sheeran. John, uh, I know we're revved up. We've got we've got a very special guest joining us back on the program. Bengals legend Ken Anderson, how you doing, Mister Anderson? Hanging in there?
2: I'm doing great. How you guys doing? Can't doing complain. Well.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're stoked to have you back on the show. It's been a little while since we've had you, and uh, sorry to hound you again. As a...
2: A, never a problem.
1: <laughs> well, we are very excited to have you back. We want to reminisce a bit about your career, especially this time of year with Super Bowl around the corner. We want to get a, a little bit of your memories. We want to talk some Cincinnati Bengals and the current state of that team and uh, maybe take a couple of fan questions as well. But, of course – we also want to talk about your uh, the Ken Anderson Alliance, the charity that you are heading up, and we want to hear how our fans can get involved, and we'll, we'll be promoting that for sure. Uh, Ken, this time of year is always uh, kind of special for Bengals fans. I'm sure it's very, very special for you. We're coming off the 40-year anniversary of the Freezer Bowl. I guess we can start there since championship weekend just started, or just ended, rather, and we're heading into the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, one of the, there's a lot of talk and a lot of questions. I'm sure you've fielded over the years about, well, how, just how cold was it? And all that kind of stuff. One of the things that I wondered about, uh, about this game was the mindset of you guys going into it, playing the Chargers. I'm from Southern California. So I, I follow a bit uh, the the Chargers and their move from San Diego to LA. And, you know, you beat them handily on their home turf earlier that year. And then you get them at home later in the year. The weather is ridiculous. I, I guess, when did the confidence level for the Bengals in that game really start to rev up? Was it after? Uh, was it right before kickoff, even with the weather? Was it at halftime when you had the lead? When, when were you guys feeling really good about that game uh, as, as you went into it?
2: Well, you know, I I, I don't know. But I, I think it was kind of in pregame warmups. ups uh, You know, I think it was the confidence in our head coach, Forrest Gregg. You know, one of the things that uh, that he instilled in us was not only physical toughness, but mental toughness. And one of the things that I've always said, and, and it's you know, if you go from cold to hot, it's a physical aspect. And I went through that in 1973, my first playoff game. That uh, you know, we went down and played Miami in the Orange Bowl, and it was very cold in Cincinnati the week we practiced. We went down to Miami and got that you know, 85 humid degree day, and literally it was a physical thing, and you could feel us hit the wall about the end of the first quarter, uh, you know, and losing to the uh, great Miami team. But when you go to cold, it's more of a mental thing. And uh, and Forrest Gregg really made us mentally tough, and I think that's what gave us a lot of confidence.
4: So th- that game was, I believe, January 10th of that um 1982 winter but you guys played in a home playoff game the week before against the bills was that like describe the difference between the weather in that game and then what that ended up being the freezer bowl
2: well you know that was 50 55 degrees that was a balmy day in cincinnati you know for for that late in the year and you know you you mentioned it earlier and, and i know you know miami came it was like 89 degrees in miami when they played the week before and Now it's minus 59 and what the temperature difference was. But as you alluded to, we played uh, San Diego in San Diego earlier in the year. And had they beat us in their home park, the championship game would have been in San Diego. So we deserve the right to play in that weather.
1: Speaking with a man that really doesn't need an introduction amongst Bengals fans, number 14, Ken Anderson, legendary Bengals quarterback, joining us as part of our Super Bowl coverage as – we as a show try and bring you all kinds of different coverages and interviews on the orange and black insider can, uh, you know, transitioning a bit to your experience in the super bowl. I, I guess I, I, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I was not quite around yet when that game was played. Uh, but I, I, know I rewatched it while, you know, know quite a bit about it. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of went over that game again today I, I, the, I started the interview by asking you, you know, your mindset and the player's mindset going into the freezer bowl, given the elements and who you were playing and all of that. I guess, you know, when you, when I look back at that game, you guys were down big at halftime and there was a lot of things. It started off great for you, you got the fumble recovery and then a couple turnovers, some issues and 40, 49ers kind of put it on you. And now you're down 20 to nothing at half. What's the message in the locker room at that point? Because, you know, you guys come out kind of roaring in the second half and almost pull this one out and would have been a legendary win for this franchise.
2: Well, it was very quiet in the locker room. I think the coaches kind of went and huddled up and they left the (laughs) players to stew by ourselves. And, you know, we just realized, you know, we weren't playing, you know, our, our best football. You know, I think we had four turnovers in the first half. And, you know, you alluded, you know, we got the opening fumble. Uh, and got down uh, inside the five-yard line, and I threw an interception on third down that was intercepted, and that led to their first touchdown. And it was interesting, years later, uh, the guy that intercepted that was their safety, Dwight Hicks. And uh, I was in a celebrity golf tournament with him, and I said, hey, how are you doing? He said, I'm surprised you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not that I remember, but, um, you know, and he said, I got to tell you one thing. He said, I blew the coverage. He said, I did not, for some reason, did not go with my man to the corner. We'd had the perfect play call that uh, they were playing inside technique. And Isaac Curtis, we were in a three-by-one, and Isaac Curtis was the third guy out to the left, and we were kind of doing an outside pick to bring him underneath. And uh, and Dwight, you know, I thought it was a touchdown, and Dwight Hicks was standing there to, to make the interception. But it was uh, – I felt better later knowing that while I read the coverage, white, it was just a blown coverage on his part, but – you know, you know, there was that and then, you know, in the, the second quarter went down and hit Chris, you know, right around the 10 yard line and was a fumble, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then, you know, we gave them six points right before halftime on, you know, two kickoffs that we mishandled um, and that led to two field goals for them. And I, I you know, so it was, uh, you know, when we came out, we made it respectable, but, you know, you can't have five turnovers in a in a Super Bowl game and expect to win. So that,
4: that game was like in your 10th or 11th year in, in your career, and you had only played in like two playoff games before this season. And, you know, now in, in current day, you know, this is the beginning of that two-week period pre- preparing for the Super Bowl, which the Chiefs and Bucks are doing. What was that preparation like with, with the with the two weeks off and just having those two weeks just to, just to focus on one game, the final game of the year? How was that, like, I guess the differences between just other playoff games and just other games in your career?
2: Well, it was a little bit tough for us because we know how cold it was for the AFC championship game. It was just as cold the next week, but we didn't have any heaters on the sideline and no heated benches. And so we, we, we weren't outside a lot to practice. And, and I think the, the week before you go to the game is when you've got to get a lot of your preparation in. And, uh, you know, looking back at it, I wish we would have gone somewhere where there was a, a an indoor facility, somewhere where it was warm, that we could have got a, a good week's work in because all of a sudden we're at the Super Bowl with all the hoopla and both teams had to share the Superdome and Pontiac for practice. But that's all of a sudden that's where we had to get the bulk of our practice work in because we didn't get a lot in the week before.
1: Indoor practice facility in the Cincinnati Bengals. Where have <laughs> I heard that one before? Uh, talking with, with Ken Anderson. Before I get to my next question here, I would just kind of want to share some of these comments. I don't know if you can see them, Ken. Uh, Kevin Reynolds, childhood hero right there, Cincy Jungle. Um, you know, Larry Wilson Jr., good evening, Mr. Anderson. You were the reason I became a Bengals fan, along with the stripes. We'll talk, We'll ask you about the uniforms stuff in just a, a minute, too. Uh, so, and then, of course, Douglas Barrett on Facebook. Stating the obvious, you should be in the Hall of Fame among many other deserving candidates. I guess, you know, with with both of the Super Bowls that the Bengals participated in in the 1980s, one of the major storylines was the whole Bill Walsh and then, you know, Sam Weiss later, but Bill Walsh, your connection with Bill Walsh. You know, what, what for you, what was that experience like for you seeing your old coach on the, you know, going against him on the sideline? And, you know, I guess later... After, after your career, kind of seeing how that developed again later in the 80s, the Bengals going up against him, I guess, just kind of your your thoughts and reflecting back on going up against Bill Walsh in your specific Super Bowl and then the Bengals again later that decade.
2: Well, you know, Bill became a, a very instrumental person in, in my career, obviously. You know, drafting me, I think he was the guy that really pushed for me out of Augustana College and then starting my second year. And, and you know, he and I spent – countless hours by ourselves, just, you know, a lot of times in the drops, I'm just moving my feet in place to get the rhythm and the throw. And then you walk back and then you trot. And, you know, and I think that the footwork and the fundamentals were so important to him. And that was kind of the basis, you know, for my career and for my coaching career the fundamentals, you know, that he taught me. So it was, uh, uh, it it was an interesting time. Uh, You know, we won the corn flip, coin flips. We got to practice in the afternoon in San Francisco. I had to practice in the morning because we were both practicing in the same facility, the Pontiac silver dome. And so as I'm coming in, he's kind of going out and we would, we, we, you know, get a chance to to say hi and to talk a little bit. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, as sad as I was for us losing, I, I guess I was happy for him yeah. that he won because he meant a lot to me, you know, in, in my career. And then I remember, uh, you know, in the, the, the game in, in Miami the, the next time and and you know it was a, a draining game and, and and somehow you know I was you know doing the, the radio broadcast for the game. I was doing some some television work as well uh, for the local TV stations in Cincinnati. And and I, I went down and, and in the, the locker room for San Francisco and, and caught up with Bill, and he was in the shower and he just had his head down, letting the water soak on his head, and you could tell. At that point, he was just exhausted and about ready to retire.
4: Hmm. I think we've all had that shower one, one or two times in our life. But I think we got. I think we got to get to some fan questions here in the comments. We have one from uh, Sixer Alex on YouTube, and he's asking, "You know, who who were your closest pals in locker room? We, we remember you talked about Essex Johnson last time you came on here. But are there any are there any guys from those teams that you really had like a, a special bond with in the locker room?
2: Well, I think you know. Number one, it's Dave Lappa because he and I were roommates for the the last part of my career, and he's still one of my my closest friends. And you know, when I came into the the league, you know, it, you know Bob Trumpy and Bob Johnson, I still say stay in good contact with, and you know Jimmy Breach. And it's been nice since I I've retired from coaching, and and I get a chance to get back to Cincinnati a little bit more often, not only for fundraisers for my event, but for other events for my teammates. So you know, I've been a lot more, uh, well, you know, I, I've had a lot more opportunities to be around my former teammates th- than I had in the past when I was coaching. So that's been one of the, the joys of retirement because these guys are, are great guys. And, and in fact, I was uh, doing an interview with, with Dave Lapham for one of my events coming up today. And, and we had talked about how, you know, back in, in, in the seventies that, you know, we didn't have an off season program because we all had jobs make enough money. And we had, you know, the season ended, we, we got jobs for six months. And so we went to training camp, my first training camp, I reported July 7th, and we didn't break camp till September 15th. And in those days, we only played 14 games and the season opened the last Sunday in September. So our off season program was nine weeks in Wilmington, Ohio. And so we were, you know, in essence, quarantined up there, but you know, uh, we practiced uh, twice a day, every day, every day was in paths, but, you know, we didn't have a weight room. We didn't have ice tubs. And so when practice ended, you know, there was a a little cinder block college bar about two blocks away from campus. And we'd have about 40 guys go there to grab a beer afterwards. And, you know, (laughs) we never filmed a practice till 1980 when Forrest Craig came. And so, you know, after our meetings, our installation meetings, we'd install, we're there so long, we'd only install one run, for the morning practice and one pass for the afternoon practice. So, you know, after that meeting, we'd head out to the local bowling alley and we'd have a, a couple of beers and a hamburger and the closeness of the team, you know, uh, that we developed just by hanging around each other. You know, it's for all of us. And, you know, most of us were married. We had kids, but you know, I'm a training camp, you know, I can't worry about the bills. I, I can't worry about getting the grass cut It's just football. And it's just team. And, and and so the camaraderie and the special times that we had, and and that's why those guys are still so close to me.
1: That's awesome. And for those who have not, for some reason, listened to the last time Ken was on our show, he shared another great story involving some beers. Another great story with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You got to check out that story, too, talking with Ken Anderson, former Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. You know, we uh, we talked a you,
2: little bit. I'm going to tell you one more story about the AFC championship game. Go for it. You know, it, it's the first quarter, and it's the first time we had had heated benches. Uh, you know, and, and, and so I'm sitting there, and you know, we had kicked a field goal, and you know, so we had a, a three to nothing lead, and and so I'm there, and you, you kind of sit there, and I'm sitting on my hands, and luckily I had my helmet on, and and there's little slots for your feet to go into. And so all of a sudden there's a roar of the crowd and I stand up to see if there's a turnover and I'm going back in and I stand up. My feet don't come out of the slots and I go down. And the first thing that hits is my face mask. And I'm seeing stars and I'm calling for the trainer. Give me smelling sauce. Give me something. I can't get knocked out of the AFC championship game. falling off the daggone bench. So, uh, world, Somebody would have caught it on a cell phone, and of course, there's a million for all the games now. Somebody would have had that, and in today's world, I probably would have gone into concussion protocol and not finished the game.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my I heard that. That's a great one. Wow, yeah, that would have uh, that would have made headline news for sure. That would have been. Twitter headline news for the AFC Championship game. If that one was caught, that's awesome.
2: I hope you don't mind, but you know, normally I, I do these these Zoom happy hours for my foundation. That's Keystone's with Kenny. And as my throat gets gets dry, I do have a Keystone light. I hope you don't mind if I sip on that uh, while we're doing this. No, please do.
1: I'm I'm actually a little envious. I wish I had an adult beverage. I'm I'm sticking with with a little soda here, but uh, I may I mean, me and
4: Anthony pretty much have to be sober. But you can drink as much as you want. <laughs>
1: Uh, you know, before we kind of hopefully we have a few a few more minutes from you, Ken. We we appreciate oh, hey, all the time. I'm, that,
2: a, I'm in no hurry. There's nothing on TV coming up for a while. I'm good. And you've got a Keystone light in front of you, yeah. so you're you're solid. I mean, when that's gone, I'll shut the thing off. <laughs> good.
1: Uh that's classic. Um, you know, you went up against Joe Montana. Uh Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl yet again. Um, you know, before we kind of transition into your thoughts about this the the team that's you know been put out there this last year and, and the one coming up this year. I guess I gotta ask you. You know, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of goat talk, greatest of all time. And I, I guess I'd like to, since you specifically went up against Montana in a Super Bowl, and Brady's in it again this time of year. I guess that that talk kind of comes around. What 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 do you think about that? If you if you had to pick going before this weekend, personally, I was saying you know Montana, 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 and, and again. Tom Brady just kind of said, Hey, Anthony, you know, take a look at my resume.
2: All right. well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a little background here. Tom Brady is going into the last game of the year for his 10th time. He's looking to win it for the seventh time. Yep. There's another quarterback, professional quarterback that was in the last game of the year, 10 straight years and won seven. Shouldn't he get consideration for the goat? That guy was Otto Graham. Yep. Yep. Now, yep. you they're know, the I think it's not a day that you have to go with Tom Brady. I mean, how many championship games has he played in? It seems like, you know, every year they're there. And, you know, for his career to, to, to be in the Super Bowl ten times, you know, is unbelievable. But, uh, you know, I sent out a tweet today uh, about Otto Graham. And, you know, and, and let's just not forget about the old guys.
1: That's a that's a great point. That's a great point. And I, I feel a little silly not even bringing him into the conversation, but a, a great point there. You're talking
2: about you weren't born when I was playing, you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> your parents probably weren't even married when Otto was playing. You know, and, and the thing is that I, I got a chance to, to, to know Otto pretty well. And it was just a, a great guy, a, a lot of fun and the first time I, I met him was at a, a celebrity golf tournament in Dayton, Ohio. I mean, it was, this was a, a a big time event. This was in the in the mid seventies, you know, where Bob Hope, Glenn Campbell, oh, and wow. those celebrities, you know, uh, President Ford after he was out of office was there, and 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 so Otto comes up, and he says, you know, of course, you know, Paul Brown sent in the plays, and 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 Paul was still the head coach, and he, he sent him in for Otto. And he says, Kenny have you ever just not liked the play that he sends in and you call it on your own? And I said, how do I, I said, I'm, I'm still a young guy. I really haven't done that. He says, let me give you one tip. If you ever do make sure it works. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh my goodness.
2: But, yeah. I, hey Ken, um,
1: you know, we've got some questions here before we talk a little bit about the, the modern bangles, the Joe burrow era, if you will, uniform changes you you partook in this you you were you know you had the old the old school what do they call them the pumpkin heads right with the with the lettering on the side of the helmet and then you made the major transition and that was the year that you guys went to the super bowl there so I, what do you what do you expect if anything i don't know if you got any inside info from the organization are you expecting any major changes it sounds like there's not going to be any to the helmet but what do you, what would you like to see and what are you expecting to see in terms of a uniform change
2: you know i don't know um I just remember that year we came out with the stripes on the helmets. We're going, oh my God. I think it was Collinsworth that said, God, we better be good because they'll laugh us out of the league if we are. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, this is the area of, of young people. They want a little flash and all that other thing. I, the only thing that I wish is that for their alternative uniforms, they, they would go back to the old school. Yes, the orange helmet with the Bengals on the stripes, yeah. and the, just the the stripes on the sleeves of the uniforms. I think that would be a, a classy move to do that. <clears throat> I know now, you know, it's been their their orange jerseys have been their alternative jerseys, but I would like to see. Okay, we're going to go throwback. I mean, the Steelers have gone back to that the Bumblebee jersey. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know. Let's if we're going to throwback, let's go throwback.
4: I love it. 40 years later those helmets are still they're still around so they must be doing something well, right
2: well i i'll tell you what what's really cool is that uh I, I go ahead for the foundation and i buy the old school helmets and with the double bar face mask that i wore it's got the mesh on the inside and then i take them down to the bengal's equipment guy and he takes off the the bengals on one side and puts stripes on so it's the old and the new so Ooh. if you something unique, go to kenandersonalliance.org and we can get you one of those helmets.
4: This is why he's the greatest. He, he plugs his own stuff out, out of nowhere. It, it, he's the GOAT. He's
2: the GOAT. Well, well no, and I, we got a, a, a great t-shirt and, and my wife designed this one. We were we were at a store here in, in Hilton Head and we, we went in and there's uh, a, a t-shirt up there and there was Dale Earnhardt Jr. and his father underneath that just said, Legends so we we came up with one it's isaac curtis and i and underneath it just says legends so that's a, a hot item too so if, if you need some shopping if you need old school jerseys if you need helmets you know t-shirts we got a lot of stuff go to ken anderson org and shop with us
4: all right ken let, let's go ahead and transition more towards the current Bengals. this was obviously Joe Burrow's rookie season, it ended a little bit shorter than what we would have liked it to do, but we're in a new offseason, a new year, and Bengals appear to be primed to continue to build around him. So I guess, what were your initial impressions on Burrow's first year? And if you were you know the one making the decisions about how to best build around him, what would you do in free agency to like you know build up the offensive line, enhance the receiving cores? Like, what do you think they need to do to, to
2: continue helping him? Well, I think, you know, the first thing is, I think it's obvious to everybody, he's the real deal. You know, he is a a big time quarterback and, you know, not only for what he does on the field, but I think the leadership qualities that he shows and, you know, we've been dealing with the pandemic. We've been dealing with racial injustice and to see that as a rookie, he is the leader of the team. He is the forefront of the issues that face the team and he's done an outstanding job. Uh, I am very, very proud of him and and the job that he's done. Um, you know, but I go back to when I was successful, it's, you know, I got, you know, Bob Johnson, you know, as the center and Vernon Holland was a number one pick Rufus Mays was a number one pick, you know, you know, the guards were good, then Lapham comes and all of a sudden when the line starts to falter, I go down and then here comes Max Montoya. Here comes Blair Bush the number one draft choice. Here comes Anthony Munoz, you know, here comes Mike Wilson. When the line got good again, I got good again. So I think, you know, it's it's critical that we put five guys up in front of him that can protect him. I, I think we've got weapons, um, but you know, you've got to give the quarterback a chance.
1: I know that my co-host has a question for you that plays on that Munoz name in just, just a minute. So I'm going to let him ask this one, but since you brought up legends, and number 85, I want to ask you what you what you thought about T. Higgins. He looks like the next in line of one of the great 85s in terms of wide receivers for this team. What what does he bring to this team, and how much did he impress you in his rookie campaign?
2: Well, you know, just the consistency. You know, he just played so well, made all the catches, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden you've got him and you've got Tyler Boyd. I think we've got some tight ends you know, we've got running backs, you know, between Mixon and, and Giovanni Bernard. So I think we've got the weapons in the backfield on the outside and to be able to utilize those weapons, I think we've got to be able to, to solidify things up front.
4: So Ken, I don't know how much that you follow the draft, but there's a, there's a offensive tackle coming into the NFL. His name is Panay Sewell from Oregon. And believe it or not, Mel Kuiper Jr. multiple times now within the past few weeks or so has compared him to Anthony Munoz the the, you know Sewell being a left tackle and you know being athletic and all but you know as a guy who played with Munoz for five years and like one of the last five years of your careers like what does it take for a a 20 year old Sewell is 20 years old for him to be compared to the greatest offensive tackle in the game like like what traits would you expect him to have in order to live up to that comparison of, of the Bengals Hall of Fame left
2: tackle? Well, number one, you can't compare anybody to Anthony Munoz. He's the the best that's ever played the position of left tackle, you know, in the National Football League. Uh, if he can come anywhere close to that, he'll be a great player. But you know, I, I think what was you know so great about Anthony was his athletic ability. He was a big man, but had such great feet and a great athletic ability that you know. He was one of those guys. It, it was easy to design your pass protection. You take that left defensive end, you'd X him out. Anthony's got him. How can we handle the other four or the other three guys with our four? So we we could double somebody because Anthony's got you know his guy. Um, you know, I, it, I guess uh, you know. I, I think I heard today on on the radio that that he's not playing in the Senior Bowl. So I you know to, I guess it's kind of hard to evaluate. You know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, apparently he's the best of the bunch.
1: Yeah, he looks pretty good. I saw a lot of him. He didn't play this year because of uh, opting out of the season and and the shortened season in general for a lot of teams. But uh, the year before I saw him play and and protect Herbert, saw a lot of him. He's a very impressive player.
2: Ken, I'm going to throw you before we – You must stay up late to watch those West Coast games. (laughs) Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. It would be very late for you guys. You get to be my age, you go to bed early. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I want to talk about your charity. I want to promote the heck out of that, and we will in just a second. I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here, Ken. We, My co-host just mentioned Mel Kuyper Jr. If you – what what would your scouting report on yourself be as a quarterback coming into the draft? Well, how, what, what kind of evaluations would you make for yourself, I guess, especially now reflecting on your Hall of Fame career – uh, what should be a Hall of Fame career. What what kind of evaluation would you give yourself? What kind of characteristics and things in a scouting
2: report would you say? Well, I, I wish you would have given me that question a little bit earlier because I, I just found, uh, I, I think it was from the Bengals' website through Hobson that they had the original scouting report the Bengals had on me coming out of college. Everything was handwritten in those days and mm. – the first guy that saw me was, was Pete Brown. And and then Mike Brown came out personally to watch me at at Augustana. Uh, In those days, uh, the draft was in January. So all the Bengals coaches went out and scouted on the weekend. So Bill Walsh came to Waukesha, Wisconsin and and saw me play against Carroll college uh, before he caught a fight that night to Cleveland for the Bengals playing the Browns the, the next day. Um, so you know, I I don't know. I, I think it was uh, you know one of the reports was that you know the competition I played was you know kind of a good high school level in in in, in Ohio. Um, you know, I, I think at the point you know I had the size, I had the speed, I had the arm strength, I had the release, and they they thought uh, Bill Walsh especially thought that that he could mold me into the quarterback that he wanted me to be, and. You know, and I think when I went out, you know, for all the years coaching, when I went out and scouted, you know, the, the first thing I looked at was the quarterback's throwing mechanics because, you know, you can't change those, hmm. uh, you know. And, and uh, but I, you know, I always looked at their mechanics. You try to get in ahead, and, you know, that's kind of a, a tough one to, to figure out. And I didn't, you know, I was told the, told the quarterbacks at, at the combine. You know, I, I really don't look at your work on the field. You know, I look at your throwing mechanics. I look at your arm strength. I can't change those. I don't care how you drop back. I'm looking to see if you're athletic enough. I can coach you if you're athletic enough how I want you to drop back. So, you know, I, I think it would have been tough for a guy like me today, uh, you know, from a Division three school. I think we were 3-6 and six my senior year to get a sniff at the National Football League.
1: talking with Ken Anderson. We're going to, we're going to ask him about the Ken Anderson Alliance and the work that they're doing and how our listeners can get involved before I do just a couple more comments here from the live chat, Johnny Mason saying great show. Love Ken Anderson. Um, Robert Obrecht, a longtime listener of our, of our show. Uh, Be sure to thank Ken on behalf of all of us fans for his time and effort and being a Bengals legend. You sir are a legend and we do thank you for your time Please tell us. I'm gonna. I'm gonna share uh, the website here on our screen. Please tell us a bit about the Ken Anderson Alliance, how fans can get involved and support your charity, especially in this very unique time where not a lot of in-person events and fundraising is uh, fundraising events are
2: available. Well, you know, our goal is to create live work and and engage opportunities for adults with developmental dif- disabilities. Um, our engage opportunities, it's been tough because of the pandemic to get people out. We like to take them out in small groups in the community, uh, whether it's out to dinner, whether it's to a hockey game, a baseball game, uh, a movie, and that's been a little bit tough right now. So a lot of things that we're doing is virtual. Um, the other thing that we're doing work-wise is we have a, an aquaponics venture going up on the west side where we sell lettuce. So it's our O2 farms where we're employing people and growing lettuce. Uh, you can go to KenAndersonAlliance.org to find more about that. And, you know, for our live opportunities, uh, we have bought property uh, out on the west side in Springfield Township, where we're going to build uh, a community for adults with developmental disabilities where they can live to their fullest potential. So I'm I'm really excited about that. And, and as you said, a lot of our, our fundraising events have been canceled uh, in the last year due to the pandemic. Uh, we do have an event coming up February 28th. It's autism rocks. Uh, normally, uh, we're at a a small convention center with, uh, three rooms. And in two of the rooms we have bands playing, uh, continuously, uh, from noon to 7 AM. We got 14 bands during the day. We have another room with our silent auction. Um, most of that is going to be virtual this year. Um, you know we've got one band playing at a time in a smaller venue It's only sponsors there i will not be there this year normally i'm there with a lot of my former teammates a lot of celebrities but you can go ahead and watch it virtually and i will tell you this uh today when you talk about music you talk about bengals the only one you can talk about is mike reed uh <laughs> well he will be making a performance virtually for us uh oh cool and and which is great and also uh Jada Marcus from Rascal Flats uh, will be singing a song for us virtually. Uh, we'll have <coughs> excuse me, uh, silent auctions, raffles going on at the same time. So to find more about that, go to KenAndersonAlliance.org. You mentioned earlier
1: uh, some new stuff. And if fans want to make a donation and get some cool stuff, there is a whole line of stuff here on Ken Anderson Alliance. Polos, autographed footballs. I myself have the old school Ken Anderson autographed jersey because don't, uh, don't I'm putting out there. What's that?
2: The best jerseys ever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can see a lot of cool stuff here. So fans, if you want some of some of the, that stuff, while well, helping a great cause, go on there. And I want to make an announcement on uh, behalf of this show: we will be purchasing and donating to the Ken Anderson Alliance. We'll be getting some of this, these items making a donation to Ken Anderson Alliance. And what we'll do throughout the next handful of episodes is we're going to, we're going to have some of those items and we're going to, you know, have giveaways on the show to our listeners and make, make a donation on behalf of the show to your, to your foundation, Ken, because I think what you're doing is awesome. And the amount of time that you have given us uh, on your appearances on this program means a ton.
2: Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate that. And, you know, when you go on there, uh, you know, some of the items we have are, bath bombs, for example, well, our that, yeah. are making those, uh, we have, uh, you know, different greeting cards that you can buy. Our adults are making those. So some of the items that we have on there are actually being made by the adults that we serve. And, you know, and it's, uh, it's exciting. We've just, you know, moved into a new facility. Um, uh, we've absorbed a, a, another nonprofit with us. We're expanding the things that we do. We're expanding our services uh we're getting ready uh to go for our our capital campaign to go ahead and raise the money to build our community so just so many exciting things that that are going on and you know i i I couldn't be more proud of of our staff that we have i couldn't be more proud of our board um and and i'm really uh, proud of the things that we've been able to accomplish and uh you know uh will you know, just one of our adults, for examples, uh, is, is a guy I know, Zach and, and we can, he likes his beer too. And, you know, he likes to catch a football and, and I call him rag arm because he, he can't throw very well, but he calls me back rag arm in return. So, you know, we've developed a relationship with, uh, with, with so many, uh, of our adults and they're, they're great people there. And like I say, we're just trying to let them live their lives to the fullest of their capabilities.
1: Well, this, it's an awesome cause. I know uh, a lot of us have people in our lives that, uh, you know, uh, this just resonates with us. So it's a, it's an amazing cause. We're going to continue to support it. We'd love to have you back on sometime in the near future. Talk some more bangles, talk about your foundation. If there's anything, any other events or anything you want us to promote, whether you come on the show or not, we would be happy to do that. But uh, we, we can't thank you enough for your time, Ken.
2: Well, I tell you what, you guys, you've got my number. Anytime you need me, you call me, and, and I'd be glad to do it. And and like I say, all the things that we're doing, if you go to KenAndersonAlliance.org, uh, they're laid out there. You'll get a chance. The community is laid out. It's designed. It, it's going to be beautiful. Um, there's a, a a ball field on there uh, that will get a lot of use, and uh, I've got commitments from the, the Bengals, from FC Cincinnati, and from the Reds. That they're all going to participate in making that field a reality where it'll not only be used by you know by our adults that are living there but you know different youth teams can come in there and practice we can have special olympic events there so it'll be really a community you know field and just you know to have the the the, the support of the three professional teams in cincinnati with this project uh, makes me so proud but but like I say, uh, we've got a great website at KenAndersonAlliance.org. Go there, check things out. You'll find out everything you need to know.
1: Yep. You heard Please
4: him, do
2: it.
1: Yep. Please support him. Please support him. Charities and nonprofits need assistance now more than ever, and this is a great cause for a great man and a great Bengals player. Thank you so much, Ken Anderson. Thank you so much for the time. You gave us way more than I I had hoped for, so I'm, I'm stoked. And well, uh, I know our fans well, are as well.
2: well. Do me one favor. Just don't wait. This long to call me again. <laughs> I have a good time with you guys. I'd love to come back on again.
1: I, I appreciate that. We will we will have you back on very soon. Stay well. Thank you very much. I appreciate Thanks, it, guys. Ken. Thank you. That's Ken Anderson, Bengals Legend, number 14. Go to Ken org and go donate. Get yourself some swag. We're gonna donate as well on our uh on our behalf on the show's behalf and like i said we're going to have some stuff john that uh we'll be giving away to listeners and um you know we'll be uh you know however we want to do that i guess we'll be doing it through the listener questions live answering um you know if they want to answer some trivia or what have you but i i want to do that i want to support not only just what he's doing but uh it's a really cool and and for a very cool guy so um, that was awesome man
4: that was awesome. That was awesome. And, and like I, I like how he has like a portrait of himself, like I do behind me. You know, it was like a like a nice like oil painting with his mustache. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask him this, but <laughs> I wanted to ask him if uh, he had seen any of these Tom Flores commercials where Coors Light is campaigning to get Tom Flores, the two-time Super Bowl winning head coach for the Raiders, into the
2: Hall of Fame. I don't. Uh, I, guys, I, do we still have him? Yeah, I do okay, yeah. well. How about on a keystone light can that, that's exactly what I was gonna ask you. Yeah. <laughs> what the I mean, I'm doing keystones with Kenny, you know, from my garage. I've got a keystone light neon. The least they can do is, is put me on a can. It's,
4: it's, <laughs> it's easy money, it's easy money. I will buy keystones exclusively.
2: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, well, we, when you went there, I had to come back on for that plug. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that is by
1: the way, uh, Talk about real quick while we got you back. Keystones with Kenny. You're doing that show too, Ken, right?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, kind of stay tuned. We we took a pause after the Christmas holidays. I mean, I've had, you know, Chris Collinsworth on. I've had Johnny Bench on, uh, Dan Fouts on, Archie Manning on. We, we've had great Dan Issel, Doug Flynn. You know, we've had a, a couple of comedians on that are friends of mine. So stay tuned for that because we, we have a, a, a great time. I have a a studio set up in my garage. Um, my wife is the executive producer. Her main job is to feed me Keystone Lights because it is a happy hour that we do. Um, so it, it, it's a lot of fun, and and, and that way I, I can write off my garage now. You know, as a studio, it's amazing. So it serves you know a multi-purpose room now. But uh, no, that that's that's fun. Keystone Light has been very good to me. They made me up my own neon. In fact. Uh, I was trying to figure out. I was going to use that as my background tonight, and I couldn't figure out how to do that. So the next oh. time I'll have that figured out by the time we do the show.
1: That that's awesome. Real quick, while we got you back, we've got uh when's when's the book coming out? And not not the art of quarterbacking. By the way, my brother has that book, The Art of Quarterbacking. That that you're you're in that one. Uh are you gonna write a book sometime soon to do a memoir, something like that?
2: Um no. Um <laughs> The title of, of when I go out to speak, the title of my talk is My Career As I Remember It. I make no attempt to get dates, facts, or statistics correct. <laughs> um, so my wife has already given me a journal, and it's embossed with, with my career as I remember it. And the, the goal is to write down all my stories for my grandkids to be able to, to tell. So uh, that that may be in the works, but... I'm finding out uh, in retirement, I'm 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 almost too busy. You know, my golf game is suffering. You know, I, of course, the foundation takes up a lot of time, and uh, and I'm doing a lot of other things. But uh, you know, I got to number one is get my golf game back where it should be. So that that's the that that's the first goal. Then then maybe work on that book. We'll see. Well, wow.
1: we hope we hope you will. Um, that would be, I mean, based on some of the stories you've shared with us, the, the in your couple of appearances with us, that would be that would be a, a fun read to say the very <laughs>
2: least. Well, like I say, sometimes I embellish things a, a little bit, that's how I remember it. Um, I, I ask people, please don't check for the uh the factual accuracy of uh, sometimes <laughs> of my stories, but uh, but that's how I that's why it's my career as I remember it. Well, I. That's a title right there, John. Right?
4: Ken Anderson fell down in the AFC Championship. That
1: is facts. (laughs) There's no need to fact check. Uh, Ken, uh, thank you so much. I I can't thank you enough. Um, And I'm glad you rejoined us for that for that uh, Keystone (laughs) with Kenny plug. I like that.
2: Well, you know, like I say, don't just don't wait so long to call me back again. I have fun with you guys. Uh, We we love it. We appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll see you soon. You know, and, and that's the, the the painting I got from when I was MVP of the league. That's why it's on the wall and it's uh, a it, it's a great shot of the porno stash back in the day.
1: <laughs> it's epic. I mean it's it's up there with with uh Burt Reynolds and uh Tom Selleck. I mean it's it's an all timer for sure.
2: Well, I'm glad you guys like it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. I can't I can't grow one like that. I, I wish I could, but. Well, I
2: can't grow anything down here, but I, I was pretty good right, right around in there.
1: It's an epic one. It's an epic one. Ken, we'll we'll have you back on soon. I, thank you so much. Ken Go to the website, donate, and help out his great foundation. Ken, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You got it, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh wow. got him back. A little, a little take two. I love it. I love it. Uh we're
4: We're just doing the show and like he's gonna pop in out of nowhere. I'm not I'm <laughs> gonna have no idea he's like waiting on that. <laughs>
1: He's he's got the uh you said the magic word Keystone and mm-hmm. uh you know he was in our backstage and he was waving I'm like oh we got to bring him back in so uh Ken Anderson wow gave us gave us 40 minutes almost 45 minutes I can't even believe it I am ecstatic uh, I don't I don't know how we follow that up John um I, we probably should have just let him I I keep keep going I would have talked to him forever I mean it's just. I keep getting starstruck with with him uh, when he comes on the program, and a lot of our probably our listeners would like to listen to him a bit more than us. But uh, we do have a couple of other things to get to. I guess that was awesome, dude. That was just awesome. No other way to put it.
4: Yeah, like you, you, Anthony's always telling me, that, like you know, we're trying to get guests, and whatnot. I'm always thinking, like, how are we going to get guests that are better than Ken Anderson? We might as well just bring him on every single time.
1: You know? uh, yeah, and and um, like I said, we're going to donate and buy some products. Uh, from our from our donations we're gonna buy some stuff as a show and um, we will be giving away that stuff that we get um, for you and that that doesn't excuse you from making a donation. you you guys as listeners got to go out there and donate but we're gonna do some we're gonna do some stuff and uh, we're gonna try and help out his foundation and have a little fun with it have some giveaways. we'll We'll determine what that looks like but our thanks to Ken Anderson for the immense amount of time that he gave us. And um, all the insight, the fun chats. He's he's hilarious. Go to KenAndersonAlliance.org and help out a charity.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference.
1: John, where I, I, I lost track of where I think we have a. Uh, I think we're going to do a state your case, right?
4: Yes, we are. We're going to do the third edition of state your case. We've had a free agency one with the guards, Brandon, Sh- Brandon Scherf, and Joe Tooney. We've had a draft one with Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith. We're going to go keep it within the current roster for this one. Um, there was something that, that came on Twitter today that I saw. It was something about. Um, like Sam Hubbard and like contract projections and stuff like that. And I believe it was Tracy uh, McBrady at Twitter, good friend of the show, who basically said, that, Yeah, if, like, if, if the Bengals are paying Sam Hubbard like north of $10 million a year for his extension, you might as well let someone else pay that and, and whatnot. And I got and I got to thinking this kind of is a little bit similar to how I felt with Joe Mixon last year. And I started to think about it a little bit more. And I came to the conclusion that in all honesty, Sam Hubbard is kind of like the Joe Mixon of the defense. Whereas I think we all know who Sam Hubbard is great guy. He was on our show a couple times. Phenomenal person. Does a lot of work around the Cincinnati area he is a Cincinnati native, but I think the Bengals front office and Bengals fans know exactly who he is as a player at this point a- entering his fourth year of his career. And it's already kind of assumed that he's going to get extended, just like we all kind of knew that Joe Mixon was going to get extended by the Bengals this time last season. The thing is, though, like it, it all really depends on the price because obviously with this year with the cap dropping, you know, there's a little bit less flexibility. But then it skyrockets back up back in 2021 and it go it'll go over to you know 200 million or whatever it's going to be with the, uh, the 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 typical growth and whatnot. But with a guy like Sam Hubbard, it just seems like kind of like mix and work. You know, he's a really good player and he does well with the things that he does do well. But the question is always value, and I think that question. Um, is can be asked in the exact same way with Hubbard. And we can and we can look at this like, you know, l- l- let's compare Sam Hubbard to Carl Lawson, like their first three years in the league. You know, Lawson played like nine less games and had 25 less starts compared to Hubbard. Hubbard was a lot more healthier and he was starting because he was a quality run defender. The issue is Sam Hubbard's just not that good of a pass rusher. You look at his first three years in the league, he's only had six games, according to Pro Football Focus, with a pass rushing grade of 70 or higher and only two of them with a grade of 80 or higher. You compare that to Lawson in his first three seasons, he had 12 games of a pass rushing grade of 70 or higher and four games of a pass rushing grade of 80 or higher. So I think we can all safely say that Sam Hubbard is not really ever going to develop into the type of pass rusher that Carl Lawson is. And the Bengals are going to try to pay Carl Lawson a lot of money this offseason. So in my opinion, like Sam Hubbard has to be looked at the same way of Joe Mixon, whereas you know, he's a great guy, and he's a great guy for the locker room, and he does the things that he does well, but if you have to pay him a lot of money to keep him around, it almost might be better to just let someone else do that.
1: I I have a question, and then I have a statement. I guess I, I have a question for you. Would you be saying that if the sack numbers were more on par this past year to what we saw the first couple of years? He had, what, 14.5 combined in his first two seasons, only two this year, and he missed some time with the elbow injury. Would you still be kind of having that same where is the value question at that point? Or uh, would it still be, he is who he is in your mind? I'm just curious um, where, where your head's at with that.
4: I think he still is who he is because you look at those paths, like, yeah, like PFF has him for six sacks in his rookie year and nine sacks in 2019. But, the overall consistency in terms of just winning as a pass rusher, it it was basically the same. Like, and we can, we, we we all kind of know that sacks a little bit misleading where it's, it's a lot of what happens around you. And it's a lot of of it has to do with what what the quarterback's doing. A lot of his sacks in his career have been a lot of cleanups. Now there have been clean wins, but I, like I remember back in his rookie year, he went up against cold Miller, the rookie left tackle and he beat him cleanly, like a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like just, just this past year, he had his best game of the season against the Texans and, God only knows who those tackles were for, for Houston. So a lot of his sacks, a lot of his like quality sacks have not really come against quality opponents, and there's just too many times where he's just basically a non-factor in the passing game. Now, gr- granted to him, phenomenal run defender. I think he was ESPN's top um, run-defending edge defender in terms of run-stop win rate, where he was like tops in the league for the weeks that he did play. He's phenomenal at that, and that's essentially why he's going to get paid because that's where his value is. But that value does not matter necessarily for edge rushers if they can't rush the quarterback like if you're on the edge and you're going to get paid a handsome amount of money you need to be consistently winning as a pass rusher just like as a running back if, if you're going to get paid a lot of money as a running back you probably need to have some value in the passing game that's not really ever been what Joe Mixon was really known for and and, and again like the Bengals had room for Joe Mixon and, and they carved that out and they ended up paying him that but it's going to take a lot for Joe Mixon to be worth what he's being paid. And I think it's, it's along the same lines of Hubbard where he's going to need to develop into a pass rusher that he's never been before in order to be kind of worth, you know, a, an extension in the range of like the 10 million range, which seems to be what, what the, what the rumor was, according to Paul junior of the athletic, uh, when he was talking about him and Bates uh, potential extensions in a recent article. So it, it is, it is, it is it realistic question of value here?
1: I, so uh, being the resident, fence rider, I guess, on this on this show. Um, I, I both agree and disagree with you in some elements that you're talking about here. I'm in agreement with you in, in the way that, you know, you, you look back to even some of the more productive, I think he had eight and a half sacks last year with the Bengals. He had two in the opener against Seattle and then goose eggs the next three games, one in week five, Goose eggs the next four four or five games. Uh, one, two, three, four, five games. And then he ends the year with one, two, three, four, five and a half in the last five games. So like Mixon, he's really streaky. And the stats usually come, and it's not really their fault. It's an entire team thing. But the stats usually come at the end of the season when the season is out, uh, out of reach. And the Bengals may be playing some you know lesser opponents or, or teams that may be down here I mean you look at you look at last year there's a Jets uh, a Jets team in there that he got a sack against um, he had a sack against Miami and then a Cleveland team that had packed it in in the final week he had a sack and a half so look I don't want to discredit I mean stat. you got the stats um, so I mean I don't want to discredit that and you know, I I guess there's just that streaky nature sometimes that frustrates you. Carlos Dunlap was the same way. Um, Kind of playing in both the fence rider thing, I see a lot of uh, kind of a Robert Gathers career trajectory here. A guy that was effective against the run, a guy that was a very, very highly valued locker room guy, would get the occasional sack, would get the occasional big play via turnover, that sort of thing. But would sort of frustrate you as, as to say, well, this guy isn't really giving you all that much uh, from a pass rush standpoint. I give Sam Hubbard, though, a little bit of a pass this year because of the injury and because of the injuries around him. And, you know, when you look at extending him, I, I think the Bengals need to extend him for a reasonable deal because they need pass rushers, John. They need guys, and even though Hubbard isn't overly effective at it, I think he's still a solid supporting cast member um, and if you I've said this before, if you get the guy on the edge, whether it's a high draft pick, a premium player in free agency, and you're able to supplement that with a loss and you're able to supplement that with a Hubbard, you've got a nice stable of of defensive ends and edge players there, I think.
4: You say Robert Gathers, I think like Michael Johnson, Michael Johnson, another fan, fantastic yeah. like player for his role, you know, a guy who was valued in that locker room. And the Bengals, you know, he, they let him play out his contract and then he exploded with like a 13 sack season. But they're like, yeah, this hasn't really happened before. We're going to let you go on the franchise tag and try to do it again. And he still had a decent season that year, but they realized that he was going to get a lot of money on the market. But he was just never that type of player. Tampa Bay signs into a mega extension. They cut him after that year. Bengals resigned to a more modest deal, a deal that he rightfully should have deserved. That, that was more in his ballpark that uh, that that seems exactly what like what it is with Sam Hubbard whereas if Sam Hubbard explodes this season he could make a lot of money on the open market if he doesn't get extended and the Bengals would be wise to let him test that and, and to see what happens with that but he's a- along the same lines for me like that like a guy who just doesn't really win that much as a pass rusher but a guy who can set the edge and give you and give you versatility and athleticism there like I, I agree with you. I think an extension is warranted. It's just a matter of if the price is too much for what he brings. it, it it's got you got to be flexible. You got to say okay, if if this if his actual value isn't as high as what he expects to get and what other teams are going to pay for him, that's when you have to make that adjustment. The same thing with Michael Johnson. The Bengals were wise to not give him a multi year deal. And then he, then they ended up winning. They got a compensatory pick for him and they paid him a more modest deal. That's essentially what just happened with Hubbard. And now if they extend him before the season, they can, you know, control the language and the, the, the size of, of the extension that that they give him. But if they're going out and paying him like, like a top tier edge rusher, that's a no for me.
1: Yeah, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. I don't think, like I said, I think he's a good, um, you know, kind of supporting guy, a guy you have in there for, you know, probably a, a good, two down type of edge player, Um, you know, maybe, maybe a one down at certain points, but you know, a good player. I I do say, you know, Antoine Malone, good friend of the show. He was a beast when he came back from injury this year. If you look at the end, again, the streakiness at the end of the season um, that I mentioned before, you look at, he had 10 tackles against Miami, 10 combined tackles, um, six against Dallas. And then you look towards the end of the year, he finished the year with six total quarterback hits in the final three games, and then the big forced fumble um, against Houston there. Uh, So, I mean, a a little bit of a streaky nature at the end end of the season there. But, again, for me, I I see what you're saying, but I also see the value. But I I think you and I are kind of in agreement. What does that contract look like? That's what this all depends on. If this contract is kind of outrageous – Um, then that's not going to look like a great deal at this point. But the Bengals also, John, what I'm worried about is if they lose Carl Lawson, they may be forced to overpay for a guy like Hubbard just to have someone that's at least capable on this roster.
4: That's 100% true, and I think that's why they're going to be more aggressive to re-sign Lawson than, I guess, compared to maybe William Jackson because they know – once they lose Lawson, they're back to square zero. Like if, if Sam Hubbard is your best edge rusher, you have a major problem <laughs> with rushing the passer. So I do think that they're going to find a way to, to bring back Lawson and then that'll give them more comfort in their negotiations with Hubbard. And also, ultimately, I do think it will happen and I think it will end up being a good decision. But it's just the back of my mind a little bit. If it exceeds a price point where it, then you're entering a territory where it's actually good pass rushers, you might have an issue there. But the good news is they can you know, work the deal, make it a low cap hit this season with a low salary cap, and then the cap explodes next season. You can give them a little bit more cash flow there. It, they can work it out.
1: I, I hope so. It would be nice to have have both those guys back in the stable. You just limit the amount of needs that you go into the draft with, and I, I know the Bengals like to do that. They like to not have super glaring needs heading into the draft, which is odd to say with a team that's picking number five overall, but you know, they, they like to operate that way. Speaking of free agency, what the Bengals are going to do? We've got one more free agency spotlight we're going to give you today. And last week it was Daryl Williams, correct, John, the offensive tackle from the Buffalo Bills that you mm-hmm. uh, spotlighted for us, and you did a great job there. We're going to stick on the offensive line because there's a lot of chatter about the Bengals doing something along the offensive line in free agency, and some people hope it's one of the high profile guards, and sure for Tooney. Um, John and I, I think, are a little bit more realistic in terms of what this team does in free agency. Usually, I know last year was an exception, but what this team does in outside free agency usually, um, where their budget may be and uh, what they what they may look to upgrade. We heard Dave Lapham talk about the, the fact that the Bengals are going to maybe look at upgrading tackle instead of guard and maybe interior offensive linemen is more you know something they they work with in the draft and mix in with the guys that they have on the roster already. So this week, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about Matt Filer, uh, the offensive lineman of the Pittsburgh Steelers, not necessarily a household name, a guy who kind of was in and out of the lineup for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but a guy who I wouldn't say, you know, just absolutely shocked the world and was this amazing player, But a guy who was capable, John, and a guy who is steady and a guy who stepped in at right tackle for them when they had some problems over the past couple of years and played some decent football. 65 overall pro football focus grade this past year, played over 800 snaps. I think he also, uh, primarily right guard, I'd have to look, uh, right tackle rather. I think he's also got a little bit of time. Uh, some snaps at guard. I'd have to double check that, but I'm, I primarily looked at him as, as a right tackle, and this would be a guy who would compete with or potentially replace Bobby Hart as, uh, at right tackle for the, for the Cincinnati Bengals. He'd be 29 this season, so he's not overly old. He's still on the better side of 30. You could probably get him on a manageable deal. He was a guy that's on Pro Football Focus's uh, top 100 free agent list this year, so um, he's a guy that is respected out there. Now, when I looked at some film and I think it was on Steelers Depot to give them some credit, you can, you can check out, uh, among other places, uh, that I looked at, but Steelers Depot was one that I looked at and some of the stuff was from 2019. And what I saw John on film was, you know, uh, good handwork, um, and, and some good work in terms of unit working in unison with the guard, which would be David DeCastro. David DeCastro is excellent, but um, good work with, with him in terms of, you know, they'd pull DeCastro and Filer would kick inside for a down block and, and worked nicely. There were a couple of, of nice uh, plays that I saw in in the film that I saw where he was kind of holding the point of attack. I would say his feet aren't the best in terms of athleticism or super quick feet. Um, He was an undrafted guy, so, um, you know, I, I think he's a guy that could at least, I don't think he would be outstanding, um, but I think he's a guy that could help out in that zone scheme a bit. He's a guy that could bring some steadiness to the right tackle position. Bobby Hart's a little bit too peaks and valleys, and that's being generous because I think a lot of the peaks were this year as opposed to the the, the other year. So, those are some of the observations I made, and he could be had on an affordable deal, a more affordable deal than some of the other names out there, Taylor Moton, et cetera.
4: So, yeah, there are a couple things here because I, I think Filer would be a guy that you would find on the second or third wave of free agency. And I think, ultimately, the Bengals are probably going to sign two starters at offensive line, but both of those guys aren't going to be the you know the premier players at their position. So Filer would be a guy that they would sign, you know, a, a week or two into free agency for a modest deal like you said. And I think what's important here is that, you know, like you said he played right tackle for a couple of seasons in 2018-2019. 2019 was a turning point because my, that's when Mike Munchak left Pittsburgh, the offensive line coach for the same position with the Denver Broncos, and that's kind of uh, like the start of like the, of the of the decline of that position group. They Mike Munchak meant so much for that Steelers offensive line and for the development of Of just great players there and yeah for for some for some of those players they kind of saw like a a downturn in their production and their quality of play but filer was not one of them you know he continued to be a a solid piece at at right tackle with ramon foster left guard that season ramon foster then retires at the end of the 2019 season filer then moves into left guard and starts that season and continues to play at a solid level like the the offense line was an issue for the steelers this season but filer was not one of the one of the liabilities like he said a guy who's only played like four seasons, but it has been like seven years in the league. He's approaching 30 and a guy who, you know, not a lot of people know about. I don't think he's going to demand that much for agency. But at the same time, it's, it's it's an offensive lineman. It's a quality offensive lineman. And there could be like an, an emerging market for him out of nowhere because teams are just desperate for that quality of play. But if the Bengals have like a solid tackle that they sign in free agency and they're looking to fill in one of the guard spots, they could do a lot worse than Filer.
1: Yeah. And again, he could, he could play a couple of different positions. Um, I, I looked at some of the tackle work he did um, could, could kick inside for you. He's a big dude, big dude. I think he's six six, three thirty, 30, something like that. So, I mean, it, you could work him potentially at an, at a couple of different places. If the Bengals are still overly committed to Bobby Hart at right tackle, you know, maybe it is an option that they explore for kicking him inside. Cause he's done both. Like you, like you said there. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, a, a more a little more enamored based on some of the film that I watched um, and some of the commentary I heard about him at right tackle I, I may be a little bit more enamored there however the limited athleticism that I saw on tape also worries me as as a as a continuing starting tackle so um, you know I again just a, a guy that um, he, he's not just a guy he's he can he can be serviceable I think he can be a, a good a decent starting player on your offensive line and improvement of what they what they currently have for a reasonable reason yeah,
4: yeah. And I, I honestly don't know off the top of my head have the Bengals ever signed like a former steal aside from james harrison i guess that's like the one example i can think of like right after they play for the steelers have the Bengals ever signed a free agent that that just played for the steelers aside from james harrison that, that would be Interesting trivia question.
1: Yeah, I, I, I remember, I think that they had a guy, Myron Bell, years ago, who was a safety. I think he played for the Steelers, and then he played for the Bengals, if I remember correctly. Might be a couple other instances like that. But I think primarily some of them would be a little bit more towards the end of their careers over the hill, if you will. And I think this would be a guy who's kind of right in the middle of his career in terms of, of Matt Filer. So go check him out, go check out some of the stuff on Steelers Depot and other film. Um, there, I I just, I think there's some value there, versatility, ability, uh, familiarity with the AFC North and, you know, going up against those defenses that, you know, that's something to, to, you know, that, that has value there. So in the Bengals now, um, Brought in Marion Hobby, and they are hoping to retool that that uh, defensive line. And they brought in Frank Pollock on the offensive side now. So you know they're hoping. I I, I would think he maybe is looking to. I, I think Frank Pollock would wouldn't mind having a guy from the Pittsburgh Steelers side of things personally, but I, I don't know that for sure. I don't know if you have a sense on that, John. But I think, uh, I think he
4: just wants guys who can play because he knows well, that like most of the guys me. here can't. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, that's our free agency spotlight, Matt Filer, an offensive lineman that could play a couple of different spots for the Cincinnati Bengals and a guy that, uh, I think, you know, could be, could be a decent little pickup for a reasonable price going forward. And a a name that I don't think a lot of Bengals fans may be overly familiar with, but one that, that, that they should kind of keep on the periphery. I think, uh, what do you say? We drop the mic and get out of here. We've gone a little long, but I think that's okay. Given our special guest we had tonight.
4: Yeah, I would agree. Um, so this, this week and in, in past years, I'm usually down in Mobile, Alabama. I'm usually joining Anthony inside of like a hotel room just outside of just right next to the, the Gulf of Mexico. But with COVID and everything, you know, I decided to stand pad here and let let, let the professionals handle that type of, type of stuff. But I want to give a shout out to Owen Reese, who is a, who is a friend that I met down in uh, Mobile at the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago. He is he was a grad assistant. Assistant at Wisconsin Whitewater, which is a D3 school. And they actually have a player down there, the Senior Bowl. Um, wow, his name is escaping me, but he is an interior offensive lineman going up against some high quality competition. And he is, he's showing out down there. Um, so he, Owen was a inter, integral part of, you know, bringing his name into the attention of, of the Senior Bowl and, and why he eventually um, got invited there. And he's making the most of it. So in is recent years, well, I'm sorry, what?
1: Is it Dylan Raduns? Is that who you're yes. talking about?
4: Dylan, Dylan, no, is he from North Dakota State?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, R e d u n z. That's it's not that guy. I, I heard that. No, guy. no. Oh. Um, well, anyways, get your tracks. I apologize.
4: <laughs> no, um, but like in recent years, there have been some small school offensive linemen that have really showed out in the Senior Bowl, and uh, this kid is looks like looks like he's next in the line for that type of stuff. So, I mean, who knows what the Bengals are going to do? in the offense line in of the draft, you know, if they miss out on some free agents, you know, they, they'll definitely look at the draft to kind of replace that, that type of stuff. But shout out to Owen for his work to get to getting his guy down there. And hopefully he sh- does well in the senior bowl and maybe even gets drafted. So definitely yeah. got to look out for though.
1: You got a Twitter handle or anything for Owen? Um,
4: yeah. at yeah. Reese draft.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, aside from, of course, wanting to reiterate, to all of our listeners live and or afterward to go to Ken and donate get yourself a product. If, if you want to donate that way, we are going to donate, get some products, and we're going to do giveaways. So we'll, we'll let you know about that. Uh, aside from that, I, um, there is a longtime colleague. He did some stuff for Cincy Jungle for a while. And, um, you know, he, he does some Bengals podcast stuff. His name is Mickey Menser. I think he's been on our show uh, once or, or twice a long time ago, but at any rate, he got a job, John. Recently, he was kind of covering the Bengals and stuff. He got a job with the Cincinnati Reds, um, doing some uh, working pretty intimately with the assistant GM and and uh, other high ups, doing a lot of their uh, you know their da- data stuff, analytics, and kind of working and all that. So uh, he's at Hude fans on Twitter. He just got a cool job. I think he just announced it. Um, at least he did on on Facebook. I'm fr- I'm friends with him there and some other places. Uh, so um that's it's a pretty cool deal and uh i wanted to congratulate him on that that's uh that's a pretty cool gig
4: absolutely quinn quinn Meiners, m-e-i-n m-e-i-n-e-r-z offensive lineman wisconsin whitewater that's the guy's name
1: yeah so uh okay well a- any idea where he's supposed to be maybe slated to go
4: I have no idea. Like Ben Bartsch, the guy last year from God knows Uh, where, he ended up going in like the fourth round of the Jags, but he's he's making an impression. He can play multiple spots on the offensive line. So definitely got to watch out for.
1: That's awesome. Well, thanks, John. And thanks to Ken Anderson. This was an an amazing episode. Um, And uh, not so much because of us, but because of our, well, not so much definitely because of me. John always brings it. But our special guest, Ken Anderson, i can't believe he came back on dude that was, that was so funny he was chilling in the back and i saw him waving his hands i'm like oh we gotta bring him back on um but good stuff from ken anderson and uh we look forward to having him on again talking talking cincinnati Bengals, reminiscing about his career john have a good week bud yeah you too all right take it easy everybody